Today's episode of Astronomy Cast is sponsored by Magellan TV. Claim your two-month free trial, only available at MagellanTV.com slash AstronomyCast. Magellan TV is a brand new streaming service that features the very best collection of space and science documentaries available anywhere. The service includes over 1,500 documentary movies, series, and exclusive playlists designed with you in mind. Check out their space genre and explore the solar system like never before. If you've been listening to our last few episodes, you know that we've covered a mix of ethnoastronomy, discussing the sky stories of people around the world, as well as highlighting modern observatories that circle our globe. This mix of old and new reflects the content I've been consuming on Magellan TV, where I can catch the latest news in archaeology and anthropology and also the most recent documentaries about our universe. This is a platform founded by filmmakers that will help you gain insight on the things you're passionate about as you consume their productions, one awesome episode or film at a time. Find the answers to some of the biggest questions about the universe and gain a deeper understanding of our solar system, astronomy, the cosmos, novas, and beyond. These are the stories of Magellan TV. Once again, claim your two-month free trial only available at MagellanTV.com slash AstronomyCast. Astronomy Cast, episode 536, Everyday Relativity. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, your weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane, publisher of Universe Today, and with me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, and I don't have my introduction in front of me, so you're going to have to say your title. I am Dr. Pamela Gay. I am a senior scientist at the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest, and you should all be mapping boulders at bennu.cosmoquest.org. I really need them to map boulders yeah. and rocks and craters, please. So we are recording this episode live <laughs> from Indian Wells, California, as part of the All Stars Party uh, Astro Tour. We said that the this episode of Astronomy Cast had ended, that we were going on hiatus. That was a lie. This is a bonus surprise. Enjoy. Um, maybe there'll be more things. Who knows? Uh, this is going to be a weird summer. Um, but if you want to, you, you missed this one, uh, unless you're here, and then, and then you listen afterwards. That's weird. Um, but, but if you want uh, to come on the next trip, I'm going to be going to Iceland in January 2020. So just go to astrotours.co. They're taking reservations now until the middle of July. So if you want, if you've ever wanted to go aurora hunting with me, and also glacier hunting, and also like... Icelandic troll hunting, uh, you should definitely go to astrotours.co and, uh, and sign up. We, uh, we had a great time last time we went, and it was crazy storms. We didn't see a lot of auroras, but I think this time it's really going to work. So astrotours.co and, uh, and sign up. All right. Uh, so relativity is one of the most mind-bending concepts a human can attempt to contemplate. How can different places experience different speeds of time? Well, good news. 
You're taking advantage of it right now, thanks to the handy gadgets like your phone. Uh, Pamela, you wanted to talk about some of the super weird ways that we actually incorporate relativity into our lives every single day. But before we get into some of that, let's just talk about like relativity. What is it? <laughs> it is a set of theories most famously worked on by Einstein, worked on actually by a whole bunch of people working together. And it describes literally our place in space and time relative to one another. And it turns out that even though we're so close, I'm not seeing you right now, because it takes the photons of light bouncing off your body a moment to reach me. And as I look out further and further, looking at people in successive rows, I'm seeing them further and further back in time. And as those photons gravitationally interact with things around the universe, their paths get bent and distorted. And that gravity field, well, there's some weird stuff that happens. Because no matter who you are, no matter how fast you're going relative to something else, all of us see those photons moving at the exact same velocity. All right, so let me just understand this for a second. So, so I'm moving, uh, whatever, uh, you know, 100 kilometers an hour, you're moving 10,000 kilometers per hour, someone is moving just a fraction away from the speed of light, and we're all watching a laser beam that's been shot from the International Space Station, and we're all watching that laser beam, and we are measuring the speed of light of that laser beam as it moves through space at the speed of light, even though we're all moving different distances. And I mean, I guess in our everyday experience, that is not what we experience with, with say, a bullet being fired. If you're moving close to the speed of light, I'm moving 100 kilometers per hour, we see a bullet moving at vastly different speeds. And, and just in more practical terms, when we're going down the highway, we see the cars that we're passing moving relative to us at 10 or 15 miles per hour, unless you're a crazy person. But if you're standing on the side of the road, you see those cars going 60 to 90 miles per hour. And this difference in how we perceive velocities of cars, velocities of runners relative to our own motion is not true with light. No matter who, what you are, light's going 300 kilometers per second and that's the law. Right. So, and this of course is the amazing discovery that, that Einstein made and, and, and I'm sure someone could have thought of it earlier except it because it's so weird right, that, that time is the thing that changes. This episode is brought to you by BarkBox. For a free extra month of BarkBox, visit www.barkbox.com astronomy when you subscribe to a six or 12 month plan. As a lot of you know, I've got two dogs, Eddie and Stella. Eddie was my reason for getting BarkBox, and month after month, he'd devour the two large treats, play with the themed toys, and I'd train him with the other made-in-America and Canada tasty, healthy goodness that came packaged in every box. For years, Eddie loved on his BarkBox stuffed toys, and these high-quality playthings went through the wash, after wash, after wash, and came out looking awesome. 
And then I got Stella. She's small and she is mighty and she likes to shred things. For her, there are extra heavy chewer toys. She recently managed to get one toy open and it's spiky ball core. Well, it's like getting a whole new toy. I love BarkBox. And Stella and Eddie think your furry friends will love it too. Once again, for a free extra month of BarkBox, visit www.barkbox.com astronomy and get that box when you subscribe to a six or a 12 month plan. Your furry friends will thank you. So, so fine, you know, this is, and it's not like this hasn't been proven a million times. Einstein's still right. Um, so then what are the practical applications? How do we actually experience this? Are we experiencing time dilation as we're moving around in regular life? Yes. And where it starts to matter is once upon a time we were worried about whether our pocket watches were closely enough aligned to keep the timetables of the trains in Europe. But nowadays, when we're trying to get a satellite hookup to bring two news stations across the world together, we need to sync up those radio waves so that something that has a millimeter wavelength lines up on the other side of the world. And this requires more accuracy than your pocket watch is going to have. Yeah. And as we work out all these timings, we have to take into account the fact that where we are on the surface of the Earth, we're experiencing a whole lot more gravity than the spacecraft those signals are going off of. And this creates one sort of shifting light and shifting time. Those spacecrafts are moving at a different rate around the Earth's center than we are as the Earth rotates. That creates another expansion of so, time. Okay, so hold on. Those are two separate issues that maybe mm -hmm. we should break up, right? So there's two factors which will impact the amount of time that you experience, gravity wells and velocities. Can you explain that? So with a gravity well, uh, gravity is going, I shall hold on to you. And, and the light, as it tries to get away, actually gets redshifted. Uh, as you look into a black hole, you see things getting redder and redder as it falls in. And part of this is Doppler shifting, redshifting, but gravity is also playing a role. As you pull out of the gravity well, that pull gets less and light is getting affected less, time is getting affected less. And so you have a difference due strictly to how far you are from the center of mass in how fast your clock is ticking. Right, and the practical application of this, if you want a way to sort of think about it, is think about the movie Interstellar, mm -hmm. because they gave us this example. Spend some time near a supermassive black hole, spend an hour, and you come back, and it's been 40 years for the people that you left back at home. And so, and so we down here on, on planet Earth are experiencing less time than people who are out in space. If they're, they're not moving, the, yeah, they're yeah. stationary, yeah, yeah. People who are out in space relative to us, they're not moving, but they're just out there in space. They, 
they experience whoa. So we, do we see them moving in slow motion? They see us moving in slow motion? They would see us moving in slow motion, but the catch is you'd fall out of orbit right, if of you course. tried to do yeah. this. It yeah. would be very messy. Don't right. do this. Right, so as they, just before they plummet to their death, yeah. they notice that we are moving ever so slightly, a little slowly. That's yeah. weird, and then the screaming, and then the burning. Yeah. And the death. Yeah. Okay, so that's the one half of it, and then the second half of it is the velocity. And, and this is that twin paradox that they played with with Scott and Mark, the two twin astronauts, where as Scott went round and round the Earth, his velocity, he was accelerated to a higher rate of motion. And you look to see who did the acceleration to figure out whose time was shifted. You look to see who was accelerated. Scott was accelerated. If he would, wasn't, he would still be on the planet. This experiment wouldn't have worked. He went at the higher velocity, and because he's moving faster, in order for him to see light traveling at the same rate, his clock has to slow down. The way I remember this is he was Buck Rogers in the 21st century, but didn't quite get there because he wasn't going fast enough. Buck's time slowed down, thus right. he made it. So the person who's on orbit, their clock slows down, they visit the future. So then is there some perfect balance point where, because the astronauts, the astronauts are moving at 28,000 kilometers per second. That's way faster than us. Yes. So they're experiencing, so we would see them moving in slow motion, but they are outside of our gravity well, and, and so then they would see us moving in slow motion. So is, this, is there some point where, where they balance out? Yes, but not with the Earth, because we'd fall out of orbit. If you go to something that has a greater mass, you can find that balancing point where the gravitational redshifting and the time due to your velocity and acceleration, where those two counteract each other. Just not here, do that. Right. There, we can't get there right. yet, so maybe don't do the experiment. Right, right. And I, I know that, like like when we look out to the other side of the entire universe, the very edge of the observable universe, that is like as far as things can go. And those places have actually experienced 30,000 years of time different to us because they are moving away from each other. Like time has no meaning. No, it Man. doesn't. Yeah. All right. So then, I mean, now your head is you know, like, come on, prove it, Fraser and Pamela. Fine. We're going to prove it. Uh, what are some of the practical applications, how relativity has moved into our lives every day? Pokemon. Pokemon. <laughs> I, I got to catch them all. So, so but they're moving in slow motion. We, we are here when we could be out for the adventure day, and we're both Pokemon Go players. No, you're a, like a serious Pokemon guy. Like, I dabble. I and you're uh, you're hardcore, um, I, but fine. So why so why could I not play Pokemon Go? No. Well, you could, but it wouldn't know where you are, and you, you couldn't you're gonna catch grab them that, all. You're gonna grab that Pokestop right totally now. I'm totally spinning. I got a gift. I will oh, that's send great. Will you, you send a it gift. to me. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Wizards Unite, I play that as well. I Nyak, you are a problem in my life. Uh, so so these things that we do with augmented reality that paint our world with games, with information, that rely on few meter accuracy in our position on the planet. All these things have to take into account that we're latching on to three to five satellites high over our heads. And 
if we weren't latching onto those satellites, we wouldn't have this accuracy. But those satellites are moving. And so we have to do the relativistic corrections to the times or we would be misplaced in time and space and all of these things that are fun, informational, and prevent us from getting lost. Google Maps, thank you. Okay. So, so then how does that work then? So, you know, your phone knows what time it is and, and how, does it, like, how does relativity affect your phone? So, so we have, you latch onto three different satellites or five, three to five satellites to get your position. If it's only two, you don't know where you are. Uh, it, your, your phone, your watch, whatever it is, latches onto three different satellites that are all zipping in slightly different directions, all have different light travel times to reach your phone. And your phone listens to the time that it's, the satellite sent the signal, compares the times for the three different signals, looks to see where the satellites thought they were when they sent the signal, does a relativistic correction. Using that relativistic correction, it goes, these satellites, when they sent that signal, were actually these three places. I now know my separation to three different points, and with three points, you can figure out where you are in X, Y, and Z, left, right, up, and down. Uh, so you're literally drawing three measuring sticks between satellites and using relativistic corrections. Okay, so so your phone instantaneously right, right. So your phone your phone detects satellite one that's moving towards you and goes, oh, you're moving towards me. So time you're moving in uh, slow motion. Therefore, the time that you think you're sending the signal is not the time that I'm actually receiving the signal. I'm going to make an adjustment. But then that other satellite that's over there that's moving perpendicular to me is experiencing mm. a different thing. And also you're out of the gravity well to a certain extent. And it's, it is calculating the, the velocities of all of these different and the positions and the directions they're going. And then it is accounting for that. And so if you didn't have if you didn't take Einstein's equations into calculating your position on Earth, would GPS work at all? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it, it would roughly tell you where you were, but... You're on would, Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's not try. We know because of Pokemon Go, relativistic yeah. equations make our lives at least more, well, wiggly. All right, what else? How, so, okay, so fine, so our phone, so like literally the, I mean, for those of us who aren't playing Pokemon Go, those of us who depend on, say, turn-by-turn -turn driving directions um, or hiking uh, in the forest, um, again, you need your GPS to be accurate. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so again, like, it's so funny, you have a conversation with someone, it's like, I, I don't believe Einstein. Like, fine, then throw away your phone. Give me your phone, actually doesn't believe in Einstein, I will take your phone, please. And we'll, you know, we'll go from there. All right, so what else? Uh, gold. Explain how. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Uh, so if you've ever looked at the models they have of the lunar landers, there's a whole lot of shiny gold on that stuff. And this is fairly thin, fairly pure, actual gold. And as it's sitting there hanging out going, I'm scattering mostly yellow light, the reason that we see it, the color that we see it, and part of the reason that it makes such a fabulous radioactive particle deterrent is you have this extraordinarily dense atomic core. 
And this extraordinarily dense atomic core means that the photons that it interacts with, uh, it preferentially shifts their colors as they interact down in the core. And we end up with less UV and blue light than we would if it didn't have this dense core and thus more yellowy gold than we would without relativity. But how is, how is it due to relativity? So one of the awesome things about relativity is it talks about how light gets bent in these high density situations and you start getting into these effects of as you get in so close, everything is so dense that the physics goes <laughs> out of norm, and if you try and use Newtonian physics right. to describe the motion, right. Newtonian is like, no, uh, just no, I'm going to misplace those photons and change the color. But with relativity, you, you can start to figure out how the momentum is changed of the photon, how the wavelength is changed of the photon. You put all of these factors together, and gold, unless it has a lot of impurities, is going to give you a yellow reflection. But it's but then but I mean it's not just gold, right? It's going to be any heavy element pounded into a thin film that has a lot of a lot of protons down there in the in the core, right? And and it's gets even weirder when you start looking at things like mercury. Mercury flows like a liquid, reflects like a mirror. And the way it's able to do all of this is due to its super high density core again. And so with mercury again, super high density core, super weird physics, super awesome material. Um, so anytime you broke a thermometer and your teacher didn't catch you fast enough and you played with the mercury, you were playing with relativity. You can say you have experienced it while also experiencing a toxic substance. Don't play with mercury. Right, but but like, I'm just like I'm trying to imagine how the density of the material impacts the the relativity and the and like the. So, think about a black hole as a high density thing. It changes the physics we work with. Right, but is that isn't that from the mass, or and is it from the density, or it's, do, uh, it's the same thing? Well. It's, it's in many ways the same thing. You can have a star with 10 solar masses of material, but it's not a black hole because the density isn't such right, that you can get close right, enough right. to the sun. Yeah. Right, okay, I see, I see. So it's the density that's actually doing the, the heavy lifting as it yes. were. Right. And there's other places that I have to admit I didn't realize we had to make relativistic corrections until I started doing research to prep for this show. And one of those things that I, I made in school was an electromagnet. You wrap a whole bunch of wire around your fingers. You use your other hand to attach the wires to the battery. You don't really shock yourself. Some of the electricity goes through your hand. Most of the electricity hopefully goes through the wire. And you can drag things around on the surface of your desk. With your hand? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You can, I've never done this. You, you, you coil, like I've done this like, like with a piece, with a nail. 
Yes. Yeah, you take a nail and you coil a, a copper wire around the nail, and uh -huh. then you attach the two sides to a battery, and uh -huh. you create an electromagnet. Congratulations, there's your science fair project. Are you saying you can do this with your hand, <laughs> with well, your finger? So, so you, you, it's just like you're winding up yarn or cables or something. You wrap the wire around your fingers. You have a loop of wire. You pull the loop of wire off your fingers. You don't keep the loop of wire on your fingers. You then grab a battery and you hold the two ends of the wire onto the battery if you're in a cheap school like the one I went to and you don't have battery cases. And, and then you have an electromagnet. You don't require the nail to make the electromagnet. You require the coils of wire. So are you like a meat magnet? Yes. Yes. Neat. <laughs> now, now. A magnet made of meat. <laughs> All right, please continue. So, so, so fine, magnets. We're talking about electromagnets. We're talking about electromagnets. I'm now, if you have current running through a wire, moving charge generates <laughs> a, a magnetic field. And if you have two wires next to each other that have current, I can't, my arms can't do that for the people who are watching. If you have current with uh, flowing in opposite directions in two parallel wires, uh, you can get those wires to attract each other. You can get those wires to repel each other. And to really figure out how much of this is going on, you have to do relativistic equations. Now, when we teach this to freshmen in university, uh, we leave those corrections out because in the grand scheme of all the friction and everything else, your standard electrical engineer is going to have to deal with, these are not a problem. But as we get into building faster and faster electronics with more and more delicate wires, a super delicate wire that's getting yanked on by electromagnetism can get, well, you can wreck your circuit, so you have to start worrying about these detailed effects. Right, but that's the force. Mm -hmm. Like, there is definitely a, a force that is applied to a wire, and, and same thing, you know, you have a wire and you apply a you apply electricity through the wire and you can, and it goes near a coil and it'll yank like a, you know, like a magnet. But I don't understand where the relativity of this comes in. Like, Electrons is it that the... Electrons are moving close to the speed of light. Right. Okay, so we got something that's moving close to the speed yeah. of light, and you've got things that are going in various directions yeah. in a computer at close to the speed of light. Yeah. And in different, in some cases, moving from one spot to another spot. And when they move really close together, when you're looking at just a couple of nanometers apart, they're interfering with each other and experiencing time dilation and relativity. And, and it's in figuring out how strong the magnetic field is that you have to start to look at how fast the charge is moving. Any of us, uh, if we're really bored, can put a natural magnet inside a coil and reverse this experiment and generate electricity by shaking a tube with a magnet in it that goes through the wires. I'm not going to do the hand gesture for that. And, and this generates current. Now we're not moving the magnet that fast. The faster we move the magnet, though, the more current is created. The faster the current moves, the more magnetism is created. As we get current flowing faster, you have to take into account relativistic effects. So would, it, would like, like really advanced, like what 
modern computers, mm -hmm. they're taking that into account. Yes. When they're running at whatever clock rate they are, the heartbeat of the computer, as it's, you know, as it's performing its instructions, it's taking into account the relativistic effects of all of those electrons moving around inside the computer to make sure that as it's sending out instructions and instructions are coming back to with the answers, it needs to account for the time dilation for this. And the manufacturers do all of that when yes. they're building it. Yes, of course. And then of course. it's then it's yeah, out no, of you, mind. you don't specifically have to My deal processor with it. isn't yeah. worried about that. Yeah. And it also becomes a, a problem when you're dealing with superconductors. Yeah. And and the faster we get things going, the faster we get our, our information from point A to point B the more we have to worry about the corrections we need to make to what happened in the process of getting from point A to point B. That is amazing. And just in general, when you're firing an electron around, that electron is like, hi, I'm going fast. Relativity matters. Right. And old CRT <clears throat> televisions. Right, right. They were firing electrons at the surface of that cathode so you have a ray of electrons a going beam. through yeah. a tube to hit a cathode, otherwise known as a cat's electric table, as near as heated table, as near as I can tell. <laughs> right. Uh, a cat, a cat, cats like to sleep on CRTs. Modern cats don't have as much luck, and this is why they claim our keyboards. Right, right. But so like an old television, mm -hmm. you've got a you got an electron beam. Yes. You've got like you're you're one step away from your own large hadron collider there. You've got a particle yeah. accelerator uh, in your house yeah. firing uh, a beam of electrons in your general direction to entertain yes. you. Getting stopped by that screen. By that screen, but you've got something that's moving at some dramatic percentage of the speed of light, and so you're gonna have to take into account relativity. Especially when you are literally painting the screen with that beam using the magnets inside to direct the beam to vary the intensity so you see different amounts of light and different colors getting triggered in different places on your screen. I, I kind of imagine like the, the cathode ray tube, a cathode ray emitter is, you know, firing out these electrons, but it's but it's accounting for the time dilation that each one of these particles is going to be receiving to make sure that it all comes together for us at exactly the right time. And if it didn't make those kinds of modifications to the timing, television would suck. Yeah, and it all ended up in, in how they shaped the magnets was dictated by relativity. So if, like me, you have an old cathode ray television in your basement because the garbage man won't take it and goodwill won't take it and no one will take it, take it apart and look at the magnets, look at the cathode ray. And the more recent ones aren't as fun as the ones that might be in grandparents' basements or attics. Uh, but these were electrons going at 30% the speed of light. Yeah. And it matters. All right. Awesome. And, and I mean, other than that, we just have to look at things like the sun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that the sun is eight and a bit, eight, eight minutes and 20 seconds away or something like that. Yeah. Um, so we are seeing the sun 
as it was eight minutes ago, that's but, fine. But more importantly, if relativity didn't work, <clears throat> nuclear reactions wouldn't work, our sun would not have a power source. Right, right. And Fusion. without a star, we'd probably be dead. Okay, fine, right. But I will give you that. <laughs> I appreciate my existence. Thanks, son. I apologize for all the things I've said about you in the past. Um, but uh, the, your terrible heat, uh, it's okay. Um, but, okay, fine. But, like, how does fusion require relativity? This is the look of where do I start? That required 10 years of university. Also, you've got three minutes. Yeah, that too. I, so, ah, collisions of particles rely on relativity to dictate how things tunnel from A to B, lower the energy barriers, and allow the things that aren't dictated by quantum mechanics to work. If it's not quantum mechanics, it's relativity that basically describes the sun. Perfect. I feel like I just got my degree. <laughs> <laughs> In your face, education. Uh, all right. We've, <laughs> we've, I think we've reached uh, the end of, uh, of the time we have here today. So I think the point here that we should really all take away is, uh, thanks to Einstein, you were right again. And uh, thanks to relativity, uh, every day our lives are made better by the mind-bending concept of, of, of relativity. So Go thank catch those Pokemon <laughs> and thank your GPS. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a, you know, Nobel Prize winning concept to help you catch Pokemons. Um, now, did you have any names with you, or should we just like generally thank all our patrons? Thank you so much yeah. for this bonus. Yeah. So, so I I don't have any names with me right now to read out. Now we are going on hiatus. This doesn't mean the work stops. We are going to be working to plan out our next year. Susie is spending the summer going through cleaning up our website, setting everything up. And to thank all of you for kicking around, we're probably going to be sticking lots of bonus randomness into the feed. And uh, we will be returning, as we always do, with Dragon Con and whatever Fraser is doing come September. Um, it's, it's changing for the summer, but we're not going away. And we would not be able to do what we do without all the people who support us on patreon.com slash astronomycast. You allow us to pay Susie a living wage for everything that she does. Thanks, Susie. Thank you, Susie. And she puts up with so much from the two of us. Um, and, and thank you. I just kind right. of don't know what to say. Yeah, and we'll see you on the, maybe not till September or maybe, surprise, something surprise. else will happen. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by the Planetary Science Institute, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at AstronomyCast. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. Tweet us at AstronomyCast, like us on Facebook, and watch us on YouTube. We record our show live on YouTube every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific, or 1900 UTC. Our intro music was provided by David Joseph Wesley. The outro music is by Travis Searle and the show was edited by Susie Murph.